Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. Yeah, and I'm excited for everyone who decided to have a Bible study with me today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. You guys ready? Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Allow your word to flow through me today, God. That we'll be anointed and hear from you today, God. We worship you. We thank you for everything you're doing in our lives and for giving us understanding and spending time with us. May you get the glory for everything that comes out of this room today, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God gave me a word for today. I'm excited to teach it. We are going to be talking about who, whose place did Jesus take on the cross? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to start it off with Matthew 27, verses 15 through 24. It says, Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone that they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave the innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders pursued persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate determined what crime has he committed, but the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So it's, it's, it's amazing to me that Pilate keeps asking them, what did he do wrong? And they don't have an answer. But they have Barabbas sitting in jail and they know what he did wrong. He murdered people. He started a riot. They tell you, they know what he did. But they don't know what Jesus did. And we're and they're trying to choose who's going to get put to death here between the two of them. Pilate saw that he wasn't even he wasn't getting anywhere with the riot and the riot was developing. So he went for a bowl of water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood, the responsibility is yours. So we have Jesus here that even Pilate washed his hands because he knew he was an innocent man. And we have Barabbas who is a guilty man who deserves to be put to death. And they're going to crucify Jesus in the place of this guilty person. So it shows right away how Jesus takes the place of sinners. Barabbas is a guaranteed sinner, and this is a great display of that. But in we got to read it in the King James Version, of course, because it puts it the right way. 
But in the final verse in 26, or in 25 and 26, it says, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So we, we have here, Jesus is taking the place of Barabbas. Jesus' blood is innocent. And the people call that his blood be on them and on their descendants forever. It's really powerful when you look at it that way because it's Jesus' blood that cleanses everybody. It had to be, it had to be on everybody. So we know that he took Barabbas' place on the cross, but they call for his blood to be on all of them and on all of their kids and on all the generations to come. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. It says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. There was nothing that made Jesus more important than Barabbas. He was just a normal, everyday, down-to-earth person. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet in our weakness, he carried, or he created. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our weakness that he carried. When we talk about him dying on the cross and paying for sins and giving us healing through his death, it's our weakness that he makes up for. It is our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Because he was punished. We know that. He was hung on the cross. The curse was there for a reason. And up until this point, they had not seen anybody get punished for anything that they didn't deserve. And they never seen anybody get away with something that they deserved. You, well, me and Travis were talking this morning in the car ride home from work. And uh, we were talking about Job. When Job was going through what he was going through, his friends kept telling him things but what they were saying to him really wasn't crazy when you think about it. They, they had never known grace. This Job was before Jesus. There was no grace. Nobody, nobody's sins went unpunished. Nobody's sins went unpunished. When you did something wrong, you got cursed. That was the law and that was as solid as a rock. So there was no way around it. There was no getting out of it. So when somebody was going through hard times like Job was going through, it was a guarantee that they had sinned. 
That's why, that's why they kept saying it. They kept telling Job, like, come on. You know, you must have done something wrong. You must have done something wrong. And Job was like, I didn't do anything wrong. Now, we understand from seeing the backside of the story that Job didn't do anything wrong. The whole, Job was being tested by God. So it had nothing to do with him having sinned or anything like that. In the beginning, God said Job was a righteous man. So if Job was a righteous man, that wasn't a reaction to something he had done. It was God just seeing how good he could be in the midst of his troubles. But Job's friends couldn't understand that concept because nobody had seen mercy. Nobody had seen that. Nobody had seen somebody get, get punished for nothing. They have always seen what you were, when you did good, you were rewarded. When you did wrong, you were cursed. Job in the beginning had a lot. He had money. He had family. He had a lot going on in his life because of his righteousness. God even pointed that out to Satan. Look at him. Look how blessed he is because he's a good man. So it goes to show that that's how things went. It didn't just stop in Job's day, though. This continued all the way up even to the point of Christ dying. So when Christ is standing there in this position, there was no such thing as mercy and grace. There was, there was punishment for what you had done, and there was innocence for when you didn't do anything wrong. Now, if you really go into the law, you, you really start to see that. It says in the law that if a man rapes a woman in the woods and nobody hears her cry out, then the man gets punished. But if she gets raped in a town and she doesn't cry out, nobody hears her, then they both get punished. Because there was no such thing as this mercy and grace for something you don't deserve. If you deserve it, you get it. If you don't deserve it, you don't get it. If two or three witnesses didn't see it happen, you didn't get punished for it. Because we wanted to make sure that when you were punished, you were punished correctly. So the law was very specific on that, that punishment goes hand in hand with what you've done wrong. There's no way out of it. There's no, there's no mercy. There's no grace. You can roll your sins up for a year, but they were still sitting there waiting for you. Until the Messiah came, none of your sins were cleansed. So here we have Jesus being punished and everybody who's there that's not spiritually minded, that didn't see the big picture. And honestly, that was everybody because even the disciples ran away. Why did the disciples run away? The disciples ran away because they didn't understand mercy and grace. Once Jesus was captured and he was being punished, it was a sign that he had done wrong. They didn't know what it was, but God wouldn't let something happen to you if you hadn't done wrong. So here, that's why this is saying here in Isaiah, we thought it was a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole and he was whipped so we could be healed. That scripture is... One of my favorites. And King James puts it really nice. Yeah. Who's got it? Does anybody have a King James Bible? Yeah, if you'll look it up for me. It's verse 5. What, what, uh, Isaiah 53, 5. I'll keep going, but when you get it, we'll, we'll read it in the King James Version as well. Isaiah 
It says all of us like sheep have been led astray. We have left God's path to follow your own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Mm, that's so good. That's why, that's why 2 Corinthians says that he became sin. He took on all of the sin of the world when he was on that cross. This one says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Yes, that's so beautiful. By his stripes we are healed. Yet the Lord... Isaiah 53. What was it? I could have quoted that if I'd have thought about it. For oh yeah, seconds. yeah, I knew. I knew. As she was reading it, I was quoting it in my head because it's been it's been such a part of our lives. Yeah, we understand that, and that's so important. That scripture says there he wasn't. It wasn't. It now he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. So he he did these things for us, but they walk hand in hand with he was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. Wow. Look at that scripture and think about that compared to what Jesus did in Matthew with the man with the shriveled hand. When he walks in and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody goes, blaspheme. He knows Isaiah. He knew what Isaiah prophesied. He said, look, it's connected. If I, can, if I can heal your sins, I can heal your body. And he tells them that. He said, what is it easier for, for, for the Son of Man to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to heal your arm? And he says to prove that the Son of Man has authority over, over all things on earth, stretch forth your hand. And he stretches out his hand and his hand's healed. And Jesus is showing them there that not only is crucifixion just about relieving your sin. It is about relieving your sin. That's one of the things. Mm -hmm. But with sin comes the curse. So with sin comes death. The wages of sin are death. Sickness and disease are things that lead to death. They're the wages of sin. So when Christ came and he said, all right, I'm going to pay the price of death. He not only took care of the cost of death. But he also took care of the repercussions of what was to come through that. Because uh -huh. mm -hmm. all of us, like sheep, have been led astray. Right. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Struck down midstream. Nobody cared about that. Jesus took on himself a life being cut down short for us. 
in our place so that we can live a full good life. It's not God's intention for anybody to have their life cut short. It's, it's important for us to live a life that's full and long and prosperous and gives glory to God. Tell them what you were talking about, about the kids' ages, the kids that died in front of our house. Oh, the, the kids that died in front of our house. We had two. We had, we had a kid that got shot in front of our house a few weeks ago. And, you know. And he was 17. Yeah. He was shot by another 17-year-old. They were so young. I didn't, you guys, I didn't tell you guys the story? No. Why? Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess it's one It's one for the podcast. So, August the first time I preached Sunday morning at our church, Saturday morning I got up, 4 o'clock in the morning, cops knocking on my door. So I went and opened up my door, and there's a car sitting in front of my house that I could see, and they had it all lit up and whatnot. And so I knew something was going on. And the cop said, can we see your, your uh, camera footage? Because I got security cameras. So I said, yeah. So I brought them in. I pulled it up. With God's help, I literally went right to where that car pulled around the corner. And I got it all on video. This car pulled around the corner, parked literally in front of my house. Like they were going to come in my house. They opened the door. The driver opened his door, and they sat there for a second talking, and then all of a sudden, you see, it looks like the guy in the passenger seat punched him, and then the guy in the back seat leans over and shoots him twice. They both jumped out of their car, ran right across my my, my backyard, and ran off into the neighborhood, and we watched this guy sit there and die die. in front of my house. And the forensic scientist came in. Yeah, the forensic science came in, and yeah. they got the footage from us, and they prosecuted. The guy was in court uh, about a week ago. Yeah, on the 4th. And yeah. I remember looking out the window, and the cops were shining the lights. And when I looked out the window, the gentleman in the car was laying there with his face facing me. So I'm looking right into the eyes of this dead kid. And, and at that moment, God really hit me with, that's a child of God. That's my image. That was just snuffed out, like it didn't even matter, and it and it was you know it was, it was a crazy situation, and then they the, of course the car and the body sat in front of my house until like one. It was an all day event. They had it all blocked off, and no, it was it was crazy. But I got up the next morning and preached God's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, someone gets killed in front of your house on Saturday. You get up and preach God's good on Sunday. Yeah, he was supposed to be because he's still good. Morning, and they had to escort him down the street, and he had to have somebody pick him up because we weren't allowed to pull the car out. Our house was an active crime scene. Yeah, and uh, he but Sunday. We were, so we were talking about that with somebody and tell them what they said. Yeah, we were talking, and and it hit so hard about how you know when. What's the scripture where the Bible says, you know, honor, honor your, your mother, mother and father, father and your days on earth will be long. Yeah. And how many kids are dying at younger and younger ages and taking out each other and not caring and the rebellion and the things. And he's literally just cutting down. Just, you know, they're being taken out. Because God's word's true. Yeah. Yeah. So if these people are not honoring, honoring your mother and father... You're not going to have a long life on it. It's very important. Like, your mom and dads make mistakes. We all do. We're all human. But we don't We don't dishonor them, and we don't stop caring for them. At some point, like, 
We understand God's grace and mercy. And we and we and when we see our society growing in this way, spiritual it was just somebody pointed that out to her this week, and I thought, wow, that's a real, yeah, real wow. That's thing the to real point spiritual out. side of it. When you look at it, and you go, wow, this is what's happening. But it says here, Jesus, in, in verse nine, he had done no wrong; he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. So again here, it's showing you God's got a plan from the beginning. God always had a plan concerning Jesus. It wasn't even like he let Jesus suffer for no reason. He knew by his life being cut short and by him becoming the sacrifice to sin that he would have many descendants, many followers, many brothers. And that's what we are. We are the, we are the brothers of Christ. We are, we are his family, his children. Yes, yes. When he sees all of this accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier. Because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interested. Now, here we go. Because he was counted among the rebels. That's, that's, that scripture is so powerful. Because he didn't care that he was called a sinner. Because he allowed himself to take upon himself all of the sins of the world. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Because God was able to put on himself all the sin of the world, he was able to not look at people who are in sin in a bad way. Because he had all the sin of the world put on him at one point. So now when he sees somebody who's covered in sin, he knows that they can be set free. Because at one point I had all the sin of the world on me and I conquered it. I conquered death. I conquered the grave. I conquered all of that so that you could live a free life. So we hear, we know God took the place of Barabbas. And it's it, in this passage, if you put your mind in that position, that makes so much more sense. When you look at it like he was victorious, he, he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels, and he bore the sins for many and interceded for rebels. You can specifically say that about Barabbas. People could take this scripture and twisted to say that Jesus didn't die for us, but he died only for Barabbas. You can, you can see here how he's taking the place of a real rebel. We are Barabbas. Right. We are Barabbas. <laughs> Barabbas represented all of us. That's why the apostle, or that's why the uh, that's why the elders said, let his blood be on us. And on all of our children. 
They knew that he wasn't just taking Barabbas' place, that he was taking all of their place. They understood that he's taking the place of what needs to be done. Even though their brains were twisted and they didn't know God's main plan, they didn't understand all of that. But they understood that he was taking the place of somebody who deserved to die. They knew that right away. So that led me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Because now we're going to see how we know that the Bible tells us in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was made flesh. So we know Jesus existed in the beginning. We know that He was the Lamb prepared to be slain before the foundations of the world. We know that all things were created through Christ. Christ created the world. So we see in the, we see in the beginning when God created the world that the world became dark and void and the Spirit of God hovered above the earth. We know that. It hovered above the waters. So we know that God, the Spirit, all this existed. But then it says God spoke. So God had a body to speak. So God spoke and Christ was with them and Christ created all things. So that's how we know that God had bodily dwelled in Christ. Christ dwelled with the body had godly. So People get confused when they get when they hear about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they, they try to separate them. They try to split them. That the Father, and then there's the Son. But the Son, in His body, held all of the Godhead. He had the Father in Him. He had the Spirit in Him. And He is the Son. He held all of it in one, in His body, in the beginning. So even though Jesus comes at this time, you know, he comes 4,000 years in after the world has been running for 4,000 years. We know that he gives his life for Barabbas when he's 33 years old after walking on the earth for 33 years. But he was created before. He was the lamb prepared to be slain before the foundation of earth. Right. Barabbas wasn't the first person that Jesus took place. Barabbas was was the final person that he took place for while he was standing on earth. But before Barabbas, Jesus took the place of somebody else a long time before Barabbas. So let's go to Romans 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. This is crazy. If you're looking at this from a scholar's point of view, this gets crazy. They sinned before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Mm. So the law wasn't given. They didn't have this book of laws. Adam didn't have a book of laws. He he knew God commanded him not to eat from that tree. That was one command that God gave him. Don't break this command. He broke it. So Adam dies. Cain and Abel God did not tell Cain specifically, don't murder your brother. He didn't. 
He told him, sin's crouching at your door. You might want to watch out for that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to try and devour you. But God never said, hey, Cain, do not take your brother out in the field and hit him over the head with a rock. He didn't tell him that. But it was still sin. It was still sin. Because it was contrary to the will of God. So we see here in the beginning, the law is not given, but people are still sinning. Things are still going wrong. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of, one, of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So in the process of this whole thing, you can see how Christ is existing in the same time, actually working out the problems that are going on. Adam sins, falls. God's there to help direct his path. What happened when Adam, when Adam left the garden? What? I was just going to say, it really brings me back to think about Number one, in the beginning, when God breathed and he breathed life into us and his spirit. But then with the apple, once they ate it, they had the knowledge of good and evil. So from that point, there was no law, but they had it in them to know what they were doing. Right. Because it was a command. Straight from God. But, uh, oh man, I lost my train of thought and I had a good train of thought there. He threw me off, woman. Sorry. <laughs> but um, so you, you, you see here how Adam's... All right, yes, that was where I was going with it. What did Adam... What happened when Adam sinned? Mm -hmm. Cast out of the garden. What happened when he left the garden? The first thing God did for them. They realized they were naked. What did God do? He killed an animal. He sacrificed immediately. The first thing God did on Adam's behalf was sacrifice for him. Adam sinned. There was no atonement for sin yet. They sacrificed animals for the atonement of sin. The first thing God did was sacrifice the animal and clothe them. He shed blood and he covered their sin. That was, that was the first thing God did. So right away, we see God acting it out. And it says, for Adam's sin led to condemnation. Where did Adam's sin lead to condemnation? When he looked down and saw he was naked. That's why he hid himself. He hid himself under condemnation. He was like, oh man, I'm naked, God. You got to take care of this. But God's free gift leads to us being made right with God, even though... We are guilty of many sins. So again here, we see Adam sins. He's naked. And Christ, because it talks about his, he walked with him in the garden. It takes a body to walk. Spirits don't walk. They float. He walked with him in the garden. He killed an animal. He clothed them. And they were able to stand there and talk with God after he put clothing on them. 
Cain and Abel talked to God. They were able to walk back and talk to God at that point. So they still had sin in their life, but God immediately covered their condemnation and allowed them to come back into his presence and talk to them. Now they weren't, those sins weren't washed away. All this hadn't happened yet. Mercy and grace hadn't come down to the earth yet. But you see God's intention to cover sin and make a right standing with him again. Yeah. He immediately started doing this yeah. from day one. He took Adam's place in day one. Mm -hmm. He didn't sacrifice his son yet, but he was like, you know what? I'm going to kill this animal as a representation mm -hmm. of what I'm going to do for you in the future. And right now, I'm just going to kill this animal, but I'm going to cover you so you can stand before me. That's so powerful. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. In, even in that situation, we see how God took Adam's place and made him okay. He rolled that sin forward through the blood of an animal till the day that he would finally come and give his son to cover for it all. It was almost like a uh, small down payment. Like, well, here, I'm going to cover it. We'll give some blood of this animal for now. My son's on his way. He's already prepared. He already knows what's going on. And he knew from before Adam bit that apple what was going to happen. For the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And that's where we should be living in our lives. We should be living in triumph over sin and death in this life. That means I should be victorious over sin. Sin shouldn't control me. Mm -hmm. Sin shouldn't cause me to act certain ways. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. I can choose to rule over sin. I'm victorious over sin and death. When I die, it's not a loss. It's a victory. It's different. If somebody dies covered in sin, it's a loss. It, it's terrible. They're, they're going to hell. They're paying for what they did. When I die, it's not a loss. I'm, I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to hell. I'm not waiting. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When Uncle Ray died, it was not terrible for Uncle Ray. It might have been terrible for us who miss him, who want to see him. But the minute he stepped out of his body, he oh, stepped yeah. into glory. Oh, yeah. It was a victory from his point of view. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Through that death, we can see that he had promise. Christ's death Absolutely. brought victory. That's right. We're like Christ. Right. Our death brings victory. Mm -hmm. And if more Christians seen it that way, I bet you there probably would have been less people sitting Depression at home during COVID and season. Sadness and anxiety. Oh, don't cut that off. Let me say that again. If more people understood that, I bet you less people would have stayed home during COVID. Yep. Yep. 
if we looked at our death, I'm sorry, I'll let you say that, but if we looked at our death, not as a, not as a point of loss, like the world looks at it, but we look at our death as a victory. Because I'm not dying so that I can show that death takes people out who sin. I'm dying to show that I will live again because of what my God's done. Mm-hmm. So it's not a it's not a loss, it's a, it's a victory. What were you gonna say, Brandon? No, Pastor said this in our ministry you should be praying for his return to come quickly. Amen. And when, when he said that, it, it took me it took me a week, two weeks to to comprehend it because I was thinking I was like, you know, but we we need to save these people. If he comes quick, we're we're leaving we're leaving these people. And then one day it just hit me. I was like, no, no, I'm doing everything I can for these people. I can't wait until the day that I no longer have to suffer through all of this. I can't wait any longer for the day that I just get to go and rejoice and be happy, be glad, and just live in his presence abundantly and utterly. Brandon, you said it it Tuesday at Bible study. You were like, my son's with the Lord. Brandon, that, that's beautiful. It's such a comfort. That's beautiful because you're right. His death was a victory. Right. It was a victory. Right. As sad as it is for us, I still admit, I'd love to see him. I'd love to hold him like I do your other babies. But it still wasn't a loss. Yeah. It still is a victory because of what Christ did. Right. right. He right. took the place of everybody on that. Oh my God, that's so good, guys. He took the place of everybody on that cross. If he would have went to that cross, their death would have been in vain. Adam would have died in vain. Barabbas would have died in vain. Ray would have died in vain. Your son would have died for nothing. It would have been a loss. But because of Christ's death, our death is a victory. Our death is not a loss. It's a victory. We're going to die. We're all going to die. And all of our deaths are not going to be a disgrace. Right. They're going to be a victory. They're not going to be a result of what sin has done. They're going to be a result of what Christ has done. Right. Amen. Oh, that's Amen. so good, guys. He turns what the devil meant to for bad to good. What I was about to say. If we really start looking at things this way, you know, it, it really started hitting me once I started research and spiritual warfare. I under, I understood what the devil was trying to do there. I understood what he was trying to do. He tried taking my son to throw me so deep into the bottom oh, yeah. that, you know what, maybe maybe before he gets to the point where I'm standing right now, he's going to get a drunk driving accident. Everything he was meant to do is going to be If off. I can destroy him now. He, I'm, I'm going to try, try, try to branch off. I'm going to try chopping this tree down so that Brandon never gets to the point to where God has called him. And he's never going to, he's not, he's not going to be taking oh. from my kingdom anymore. Because I took his son, and he's going to be so bitter about it that he's going to he's, he's going to fall into depression. He's going to fall into alcohol. But once we learn to turn something that was meant for evil, turn sorrow and turn into it joy. into something that was, that's joy. good for God. That's right. good. He don't like that. He, he don't like that right. one. You just won. Bit. You just won the whole he, battle. He don't like that one single. Yeah. So listen. 
Listen to this next scripture because it's going to confirm everything you just said. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So again here, none of this caught God by a surprise. Jesus and God were, Jesus is God. Jesus wasn't standing in heaven going, well, we got to make a new plan. Adam just messed up everything. Right. He knew it from day one. Yeah. He was like, this is going to be destroyed. This is all going to go away and we're going to burn it all. And Satan thinks he's going to mess up my plan, but I've got a new life because this one's not going to be good enough. Even in all of it, it wasn't going to be good enough. God had more, he had better plans. Better plans. Man, that's so good. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. Uh, You know how many people get that twisted? Again, we just talked about Adam's sin, there was no law. Cain's sin, there was no law. This went on down the line. There's there's another story, I forget which descendant it is, but there's another story where a descendant says, hey, Cain was was murdered one person. He had a mark put on him. Well, I killed the man too. I'm going to be cursed ten times as much. There's, There's people were knowing what they were doing was wrong before there was a law. There was no law. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Job was before the law. Everybody there talked about how they knew how the world worked. If you do wrong, you get wrong. You do good, you get good. There was no law. That's what I was trying to say. But they understood that. You know? What? I was trying to understand that a few minutes ago when it brought me back because of the apple. You will know right from wrong. You will have wisdom. You know? No law. Yep. But they knew. And the Bible also says we were born with our measure of faith. Yeah. Yep. So everyone knows. The law came after sin. The law came after sin. Sin was already running rampant without God saying anything. God didn't have to tell them, oh man, when you really think about it later, would it have been less, was it less bad for Cain to kill him because God didn't tell him? God told Adam, don't eat the apple. Adam ate the apple. God didn't tell Cain, don't kill your brother. But when he did it, which was worse? He murdered somebody. Adam didn't murder anybody. Adam took a bite of an apple. That's why the Bible says he realized he was naked. That was it. Adam was all right. So the worst thing Adam did was he was naked. He was naked. I'd rather someone walk out naked than walk out murder somebody. So murdering somebody was way worse. Way worse. But all of it started when Adam took a bite of that apple. That's when sin started to run rampant in earth. So, we got to look at it this way. Sin is contrary to the will of God. It's not just necessarily disobeying the exact words that God says. That's why the law didn't cover it all. People were still, the Bible says that they were straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. They were still doing terrible things even though they were following every single point of the law. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They were twisting the law, and they were still because even if even if God told them and stood beside them and said every single thing that was wrong in their life, they still would have done the wrong because it was in them. Sin was running rampant. It didn't need. We didn't need that. We needed a situation to change how man existed, to where we no longer did what was wrong. That's why heaven's going to be a beautiful thing. We're not going to be oh, yeah. even tempted to do wrong. We're not going to feel that temptation at all. Okay. Why do you think Christ wasn't was able to not sin? Because he existed before all this curse started. Mm-hmm. His body existed way before Adam bit the apple. He has a glorified body that never was tempted, or he was tempted, but never fell to the temptations like we do. Because our bodies were corrupt. That's real good. God's law was given so people could see how sinful they were. Mm-hmm. They would have still been sinful if he wouldn't have given them the law. If God would have never handed down the law to Moses, people would have been good. Oh, that is so powerful. So what does obeying the law, what does it achieve? It wasn't the law that was keeping them holy. The law was just showing you that you're terrible. God was like, if I write down all the bad things that you guys do, will you finally realize that you need me? That's what it was about. It wasn't, I'm going to write all this down so that way you guys will do all these things and then you'll finally be good enough. Man, look at that. It wasn't, I'm going to write down all these laws so that you can do it. That's powerful, guys. I, it's not, I'm not giving my kids a list of laws so that if they do all this, then me and you ain't got to talk no more. That's not what I do. But I do tell them, Okay, you guys, you guys were bad for me this morning. You were bad for Nana yesterday. You did this wrong today. You did. Why am I doing that? I'm not doing that because if you do all this, I'll love you. I still love you, but I want you to know what you're doing that's wrong. Christ still took Adam's place. He still killed the animal and clothed them. He still planned on going to the cross and dying. He still was going to love you anyways. But I want you to acknowledge what you're doing is wrong. Right. And God still wants that today in our lives. If we don't realize what we're doing in our lives, that's wrong. We're still having a problem, guys. The law is still there. Christ's grace and mercy exist. And you know what? That's where some people start walking in God's grace and they lose sight of the law. The laws, God said, until, until the end of time, not one dot or tittle will be erased from this law. The law will exist. Why? Because it shows us our sinful nature. Did Christ pay for that sin? Yes. Do I still need to know what sin is? Yes. I can't say, well, Christ forgave me, so now I can just do whatever we want. We can throw the law out. No. Christ did save me. What did he save me from? Let's look at the law, because that's what he's saving me from. That's what I should have victory over. That's what I shouldn't be doing anymore. That's how I should be living my life. Not because I don't want to go to hell. Because I want to please God, I want to live in the blessings of God, and I need to be able to do those things 
the law is going to show me what the things are that I should be avoiding in my life. Uh, and again, as a parent, that's exactly what we do with our children. Right. We don't want them to never do anything bad. It's not about that. They're going to do things bad. But we want them to learn. Yes. When you touch that oven, your hand's going to get burned. Do we take their hand and put it on the oven? No. We're trying to avoid that. Because <laughs> even even here it says, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through eternal life, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's so powerful, man. The more I see it this way, like Christ took the place of everybody on that cross so that we can live a free and clear life with right standing before God and be victorious over sin and death. Both of them. All because of what Christ did in one place. I'm not going to finish this all today. I'm 50 minutes and I didn't even get to the last parts that I wanted to get to. Next week. Yeah, next week we're starting off women's group. So how about we do this? Let's, let's, I was going to go to Hebrews 9 and 10 next. Hebrews 9 starting at 11 and go through the whole book, the whole 10th chapter of Hebrews. I can do that. Hebrews 9. Yeah. Mom, yeah. You guys can start that next week. And, and for everybody listening, read Hebrews 9 and 10. Go through that. See what God did there in this in, in, in his death. What whose place he really took. Because in Hebrews 9 and 10 it shows us that Christ is our high priest and that he paid the price for everybody. And that the blood of animals wasn't enough. But God had to sacrifice his son to pay for our sins. Chapter 10. I'll I'll read through this a little bit. We've gone through Hebrews 9 stuff too. So, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifice under that system was repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. What? Nothing. It's good. But instead, their, sac- their sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year. Think about that. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices for sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. 
You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I came to do your will. He canceled the first covenant in order to put a second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at a place of honor at God's right hand. There he awaits until his enemies are humbled and made footstools under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to this. So for he says, now this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them in their minds. He says, I will never again remember their sins or lawless deeds. And when sin has been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Look at that, man. That is so powerful. I will write my laws on their hearts and in their minds. The law doesn't disappear. The law is still going to show us now it's in our minds it's in our hearts i don't have to look to a book to know what's wrong i know what's wrong Mm -hmm. and i have the i have the ability thanks to christ's blood to overcome that wrong when i know something's wrong i don't have to do it christ gave me the ability to choose not to do it Do no. unto others as you would have them do unto you. Hey, karma. Yeah, we'll just change the name of it and act like we came up with it. <laughs> you didn't come up with it. That was God's plan from day one. So, dear brothers and sisters. This is, this is 10 verse 19. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God and with sincere hearts, fully trust in him. 
For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as so many people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hallelujah. So we don't have to worry about sin. We've overcome sin. Now it's time for us to get to work. Get to work for the will of God. Don't sit there and wallow in what you do that's wrong. All of us know in our heads we've done stuff wrong. All of us have it written on our heart that we've done things that are wrong. But we know that God has made it right. We know that God has washed it away. So even when I know what is wrong in my life, I can put that under the blood of Christ and I can move forward and continue to do the good works of God. So whose place did Jesus take on the cross? He took everyone's place on the cross so that we can go forth and do the work of God. Satan's biggest trick is to make people forget that they're in right standing right. with God. Right. Why? Right. I'm not in right standing with God because of anything I did. I'm in right standing with God because Jesus right. took my place on that cross 2,000 years ago. Right. So when I mess up, I don't have to go back and crucify myself again. He's already been crucified for my wrong. So when I know that I've done something wrong, I can ask him for forgiveness and then I can walk confidently in the work of God. I can't, you know, we can't, if we're going to be honest, it would be hard for us to get up and preach on Sunday when we realize what we've done on Saturday unless we realize that he took our place. He's already done it. And we should be able to come to church. Oh, I can't go to church because if I step in there, God will strike me dead. I'd already had lightning bolts, man. Yes, I can because he took my place on the cross. He's already paid the price. So I can come together and I better not neglect it, especially when I see the day of his return drawing near. God's coming back soon. We better get our butts to church. And not because we're not because of what we've done, because he made a way for us to stand before him with right standing. Amen. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that can that will cover our sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled the Son of God and have treated his blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy. Wow. 
and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. What is he saying there? If we live in that sin and act like his death doesn't matter, we are trampling what God did underfoot. If the devil convinces me that my sin is more powerful than God's blood, then I am taking what he did for granted. And I'm trampling it under my feet. It was not common and unholy. His blood was holy. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you reminded you remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who suffered the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Mm, We didn't complain because our life wasn't as good as we thought it would be. We suffered and didn't care because we understood the glory that was to come. You knew there were better things awaiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now. (laughs) Patient endurance is what you need now. Where are you reading? Yeah, what? Where are you reading? Oh, this is Hebrews 10. I'm at verse 36 right now. Okay. So that you will continue. Ah, Patient endurance is what you need now, guys. God already took your place on the cross. He's already paid for it all. All you need now is patient endurance so that you will continue to do the will of God. Then you will receive what he promised for just a little while. The coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. <laughs> mm, thank you, God. You guys, you guys want to get excited about a reason to praise. Go home and reread this and think about it. Really think right. about it yeah. from a praise standpoint. I no longer have to go to the tabernacle with a bull, with a dove, with anything else. I no longer have to have some some animal's blood shed to forgive my sins me and have to keep doing it. God's, God, God put his blood down once and for all. It covered Amen. everything. Amen. We no longer have to go to the tabernacle mm. to get our sins removed. All we got to do is go and praise him that he took right. all of that. And again, he didn't just take Barabbas's place. He didn't just take Adam's place. He took my place. So when I, when the devil reminds me of all the things I've done that are wrong, I can remind the devil that I was crucified 
with Christ. Amen. I already paid for it by accepting his blood. It's just like when I, if I go into a store and I, and, and I, I take something that, that, you know, I, or let's say it this way. I go into the store with my mom's credit card and I walk up and I pay for what I may not have paid personally out of my own pocket for the, for, for the merchandise. But since I used her card, it's still paid for. The store owner's still going to let me have it. I'm still going to walk out and it's still going to belong to me because I paid for it. I didn't use my money, but I paid for it. It's the same way when the devil reminds me of sin. Yes, Satan, I didn't die to pay for it, but the wages of sin is death and he already paid for it. Amen. So I'm free and I paid for it. Don't remind me about it. I don't care anymore. I'm moving on. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm going to encourage other people to do the will of God. And we're going to walk forward knowing that the promises of God are true and amen. If he said that I'm right and he says I got good standing, then I don't care what the lies the devil wants to Thank throw at me. Yes, you tried to mess up God's plan. But from the beginning, he already had a plan to make up for what you were messing up. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds to God. Thank you for taking our place on the cross. Thank you for taking the place of the world on that cross, God. That nobody is too bad to come to you. That nobody doesn't have a place in your court, God. But because of your sacrifice, we can enter into the holiest of holies. We can walk in your ways, God. And we can let your law be written on our hearts and on our minds, God. That we will continue to please you and to draw people to you, God. We worship you and praise you and thank you for your blood. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.